Hello, and welcome to Your Killer Life, where together we tackle the reality of surviving a killer diagnosis like cancer, and I help guide you through creating your killer life. I am your host, Tammy Grable Woodford, and in this podcast, we aren't leaving anything out as my guests and I share deeply personal insights and experiences as we talk about trauma, loss, treatment options, caregiving, side effects, money. Hey, we open it all up. In fact, we are even going into the forbidden zone to talk about sex, relationships, and mental health. Remember, the conversations you hear on the show are based on unique experiences and varying diagnoses, and we all had our own medical teams. We are not giving medical advice. So if you hear something inspiring, please talk with your providers. All right, are you ready? I know I am. So let's get busy and start building your killer life. Hello, and welcome to the Your Killer Life podcast. I am your host, Tammy Grable Woodford, and I am very excited today because I have my co host with me, Griff Woodford, and he's going to be joining me at least on one podcast each month. And we really wanted to, at least I wanted to, we'll talk about what I was hoping from this, and then, and then I'm going to toss it over and we're going to talk with him about how I roped him into it, but really wanted to make sure that we didn't just talk about things from the cancer perspective, but that we also talked about things from the caregiver perspective. So today we're going to be talking about durability and resilience. And Griff, you want to tell us a little bit before we get started on that about why you're here and what your your hopes and goals are for being here? Well, certainly. So as I'm sure you guys have figured out by the last name, uh, we are in fact married. So our... Um, our relationship and our marriage over the past five years has offered us uh, quite a few opportunities to improve in our durability and resilience. Not not just cancer alone, uh, obviously everything that goes along with that. So being the the cohesive unit that we've been able to form, it's, uh, it's important to offer additional outlooks and additional paths to what has led us to be successful. So why I'm here is, again, how to be successful and not so much in the monetary or the social aspect, but in the aspect that none of us get to get out of. That would be trauma. Um, Every person faces some sort of trauma, life-altering trauma throughout their existence, whether that's watching your cat run over when you're six years old to ongoing sexual abuse by a parent. Uh, Obviously, there's large degrees and variance between trauma, but everyone does experience it. So why I am here is to offer one of my aspects and outlooks on how to not just be successful during the during that period of trauma, but the the aftermath of that trauma. And in my experience, the observed experience of others is it's often the aftermath of that trauma. Once the uh, the the pain and the the immediate pressure is off, then now what? You know, now how do we recover from that and how do we go on to live a, a better life after that as opposed to being mired in it? I so appreciate that. I, you know, as you talk about trauma, I can I can actually feel my body tensing up. And and I guess that's one of the the gifts I, I think coming out of this is I'm so much more aware of my own response to stress. But it's interesting to me that still just words have that much impact and power. Certainly. 
So you talk about hard versus strong. And where does that idea come from? And how is it applicable to being successful in sort of, you know, during trauma? And then, of course, after trauma? Well, the, the concept of, of hard versus strong is certainly not a new one. The, the, the difficulty that many of us face, and I would say in particular, it's th- there's a, more of a lean to it based on uh, men. You know, from very young, young age, we're conditioned both socially and biologically to, to be hard, as it were, to, to not show emotion to get up, dust yourself off and move on like nothing's happened. So where the differentiation comes in from from me and the the point of the podcast in the first place is actually from two different different aspects. First, my personal aspect, and then also from uh from military, my time in the military, and then also uh the correlating careers afterwards. So where um where to best describe the difference between being hard and being strong? As you obviously know, honey, I uh, I like knives. In particular, I like metallurgy behind the knives. You know, wh- wh- why is it that a knife that looks looks the same, made of the same steel, and even has same geometry, why is one so much more capable than the other? Well, that comes down to effectively heat and pressure. So making a hard knife where, where hardness is, um, is categorized in, in metallurgy is its uh, ability to resist abrasion, where a strong knife is measured in ductility or its ability to absorb sudden and massive impact. How, 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 does, that, how does that knife become hard? How does that knife become strong? It, it, again, it comes down to heat and pressure. And so we can associate that with uh, a crucible is actually what it's what the the term is is called. It's this large oven that applies heat and pressure to raw steel. So to create a hard knife goes in the crucible, then it is immediately quenched. Once it's out, once it's reached that that critical temperature, it is taken out and plunged into a quenching agent. A strong knife undergoes the exact same heat, the exact same pressure, but is left to sit. It is left to cool. It is left to stay in that heat until it is ready to be molded into something different. So the same applicability comes to us. Um, I'm not going to necessarily differentiate between American, European, what have you. It's part of every culture, Uh, not just men, but but women as well, is as soon as we are out of that, that crucible, that we immediately move on to something else, get rid of that pain, get rid of that that associated horror and terror of the crucible that we were just in. Trauma, right? Mm-hmm. It is bordering on unacceptable to just sit in it, to allow it to do what it is there to do, what trauma, what loss, what grief is there to actually do. That is to transcend fear. That is to strengthen us. So in practical application, what's the difference between a hard knife and a strong knife? Well, a hard knife, you can cut through a lot of things without having to reshape, without having to do anything to that, to that blade, that edge, that geometry. You can cut and cut and cut and cut and cut. 
A strong knife is meant to absorb impacts. If a hard knife is subjected to the same same force that uh, a highly ductile knife is, it shatters. It becomes unusable. It cannot be remade. Whereas a strong knife can be subjected to immense impact and sudden impact, repeated impact. And all that's necessary is to bend the blade back into shape and rehone it. Then it is the exact same knife when it started. So I think we can kind of get the idea of where I'm going with this. Why hard is not applicable. There is so much less use, right? And that's what we all look for as people. We want to be useful. Useful to ourselves, useful to our spouse, our friends, the people that, are, that matter to us. Society. If we focus on that hardness, being out of that pain, that crucible, immediately after, whether that's through work, sex, alcohol, drugs, that that may steal us to the, the cutting through life, but we will be subject to additional impacts. There's no way to get out of that. So when that does happen, now we become unmendable. As opposed to that strong knife, who who that strong person, who going through the same trauma, the same crucible, sits, allows it to do its work. When that's done, when that temperature reduces, when that pressure reduces, naturally, we become so much more useful than a hard knife. The uh, the reason why we don't do that. Right. I mean, it's, it sounds like, well, this is the obvious answer. Uh, the reason that we don't is because it is unequivocally the worst pain a human being can feel. There's no comparison. You know, honey, you know, the the career choice that, <laughs> that I that I had for my entire adult life uh, subjected me to significant physical injury uh, repeatedly. Um, I can tell you that I would gladly and gleefully accept every single one of those physical injuries at the same time than what it felt like to lose Titus, my dog, for everyone who's watching. That's why we don't do it very often. And the thing of it is, too, is it's not something you can necessarily do alone either. So that, that's another another aspect to be aware of. And I would say actually a really critical aspect to be aware of is the person going through that that natural cooling process after this is, and I, I can speak from personal experience, the observed experience of others in this is, we don't want to be a burden to those around us. Right. We don't want to subject people that we love, we care for, that we're responsible for to us not being able to function for you know, a specific period of time, whether that's a day or in one of my cases, nearly four months. You know, that's another very large factor to this. So I, I'm referring to my notes so I don't go over. I mean, this this is a topic that could be spoken on for hours and, and still not be really covered. But, you know, it's interesting thinking about the framing of hard versus strong and and durability and resilience and thinking through because breast cancer, any any cancer, I'm sure, but I can only speak about breast cancer because that's that's my experience and what I know. But, you know, we've talked about the five stages of grief and loss and how, you know, you go through that 
that initial loss of just hearing the news. And then you go through the loss with the mastectomies. And it's it's almost like you're constantly, you're, you're like a ping pong ball in a high velocity in a very small space with grief bouncing back and forth between where it is you're supposed to be because it's like every three months or every doctor appointment, you're getting a different type of news, a different type of loss, something new to be angry about or in denial about or, or just feeling like yeah. it's unjust. It's just maniacal in yeah. how it feels. And so would you describe sort of that process as part of the, I don't know, that interim cooling of absolutely that's each. that's exactly what the five stages of grief are and in, in, in fact it's it's uh interesting and i did not include in my notes the actual um name of this chemical but and you and i have talked about this before is um actually allowing and not just allowing but um seeking out the stages of grief there there is a there is a difference to that uh, allowing is a sense of just kind of laying back and whatever happens, happens, as opposed to being proactive in this process. Uh, so with that, the, the stages of grief are effectively designed around your psychological, emotional, and physiological response to trauma and to grief and, and how those need to work together in order to actually be successful. It not just, I won't say in particular during trauma, that's when that sympathetic nervous system stuff's going on, that fight or flight mechanism. So you really don't have access to those things. But afterwards, that cooling down period, as it were, you know, um, there, there's a chemical that's secreted in one place, only one place in the entire anatomy and physiology of a human being that is directly correlated to the... Um, we'll just say getting through grief and loss part of the acceptance period or the excuse me the, the acceptance process and also being able to process tremendous grief loss trauma and it is only secreted in tears mm -hmm. meaning that that is a critical part of it and again we have that conditioning of being hard doesn't bother me. I'm fine. <laughs> Get back to work. Um, allowing yourself to 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 cry, right? And not just the you know the brief maybe on your way to work, then get yourself together, but uh, to the degree that your your body requires. And the cool thing is about that is your your anatomy, your physiology. And your psychology, I'll communicate. You'll know. You'll know when you're ready. You'll know when you're done. Um, trying to to hinder that process. That's that's not how we do this. But you know, again, going back to the uh, that original statement of not wanting to burden others, and you know, we all have responsibilities, whether it's work, family, school. We all have those responsibilities, and the reality is that grief often gets in the way of that. Yeah. And you and I both know that, yeah. but. You know, here's the thing is you can deal with it now or you can not deal with it right. and then it never leaves you. It always stays with you. And this is um, where I think of the military uh, a lot is there is a, a centralized focus, particularly in the unit that I was in, 
the requirements that were put on us physically and psychologically and emotionally is you are going to be hard. You know, strength, the, the, the term strong was measured only in, in physicality. Uh, hardness, that was the psychological, the emotional aspect of you are unflinching no matter what happened. And the, uh, the 22 suicides a day says that's not correct. Right. Right. Service suicide. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Service members leaving that environment, which that is the, the standard. That is the gold standard of hardness. You are not to do this. You are to complete your task, complete your mission, take care of those below you and above you. And that's why we have what we have. That's where the 22 a day, part of where the 22 a day comes from, is not allowing what is physiologically necessary to occur. I remember it took a long time for me to to cry and to feel, I suppose, safe enough to cry. Right. There was so much chaos, so much confusion, so much shock. You know, there was just so yeah. much. And do you remember what you said to me when I did finally allow that breakdown? What the the part that sounded like an, a wounded animal? So yeah, was that I didn't it? mean yeah, to like yeah, pop yeah. quiz yeah. you on on you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that it was that raw, mm -hmm. that that raw, that powerful, that painful, that overdue. Yes, I, I think overdue is probably the most accurate word of all of that. And again, for the exact same reasons that we're talking about. Like I said, it's it's not. It's not necessarily gender specific. I mean, you are, in, you're my example of that is, you know, based on your lifestyle, your career choice, your, your, your rearing, you know, it's the, the same exact thing of not allowing that com utterly necessary tool yeah. to be used. I had no idea. I really, I really didn't. And you know, it's one of those things I think back to when I was first diagnosed and I literally left the doctor's office after being told you have cancer and a lot of it. I went to Red Lobster and I had a glass of wine and poked at a cheddar biscuit. And then I went to right. <laughs> I went to work. And I didn't call my sister or my mother or my brother because I knew that making that phone call I would be crying, but those tears actually would not have been for me. Those tears would have been for them right. receiving that news and their fear and their concern and their sadness and trauma and shock. And, you know, I knew what I was going through and I could only amplify that for my mother. And because uh, nobody wants to hear hear that about their child. Certainly. right. So, yeah, it was definitely long overdue. You know, the, it's interesting that the timeline as you as you uh, spoke, well, just now of, in fact, and as referenced earlier is, you know, the, there is, there is a difference with that, you know, and the, that's part of the, actually the first stage of grief is shock or denial, right? And that references the sympathetic nervous system that represents the fight or flight mechanism. You know, when one is active, the other can't be, right? So it's no surprise. And I would say probably correct, as correct as it can be anyway, that, you know, you can't access something like that. Like hearing that news, losing that that family member, losing that pet, the the you know finally or even just finally getting out of that traumatic situation, whatever that is. 
you know, that, that fight or flight response, that adrenaline response, that sympathetic nervous system response is still so active. You know, don't expect that um, you're going to be able to access these things immediately because you've, I mean, you physiologic, physiologically can't, you know, and, and for you in particular, it was months. Yeah, it was. Literally, it was two or three months afterwards. And just because there was no slowing down. Yeah. It wasn't necessarily even that either of us were trying to ignore this, you know, oh, holy crap, this is bad. You know, this is life altering. It's just there was there was no break. Yeah. You know, so I suppose, you know, for our listeners and, and for us in the future and, and you know, because again, something like that's going to happen again, not cancer, but, yeah. but you trauma. Know, right. Loss. We don't get to get out of that. Yeah. You know, recognizing and being emotionally astute enough to understand that there is probably going to be a period of time where I just simply can't. But when it is ready is not ignoring it, not denying it, I think is probably the better word. You know, allow it to occur. But just as you said, that's that's kind of the trick is it it does require safety. Because without safety, that sympathetic nervous system response is still active. It's still going to keep going. You know, that's where the aftermath process is. That's really where it begins. Once you are in a place, both physical or and or psychological and emotional, of I can I can access access these these critical elements of survival, of processing, of getting out from the the hold of that trauma. Not staying stuck in that fear and, and locking it, locking it all away, imprisoning it and yourself with it. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. It took me two decades to get to that place, literally 20 years because of that. I mean, there was no place of safety, you know, based on what I was doing, not just as a career that had a large part of it, but also, who I chose to associate with, who I chose to spend my time with, and who I chose to be as vulnerable as I felt I could be, I suppose, around these people who were not my people. So 20 years, you know, 20 years that I'm not going to get back. 20 years that could have made a considerable difference, you know, and think about that as far as listeners, right? How much mm-hmm. how much time have you spent with the people who won't allow this, who won't allow you to get through what you need to get through, to get out from under that trauma? You know, that's where I was. I was stuck for two decades in the first trauma, let alone the 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 suitcase full of traumas within that twenty years. It's amazingly powerful and liberating when you can make your way through it and it's such a dark place when you're stuck in the middle of it yes it is yes it is both yes 20 years of being in that that dark place not being able to trust myself not not having faith in myself that i could even make good decisions based on that and then coming out of that and realizing I'm an entirely different person. I'm a trustworthy guy. I am, I'm okay. Right. I'm, I'm a pretty cool guy to be around. I think so. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's the thing before I switched that focus from being hard to being strong, I wasn't and nobody can be. That's the thing. 
I'm not saying that anyone that everyone or really anyone that, um, you know, does just kind of straight and narrow this, just keep cutting type thing. You are obviously not bad people. <laughs> I mean, maybe you are. I don't know. Um, <laughs> no. If you're listening to this, you're probably not. No. Um, but there is so much more that is available to you. And it just is. I mean, the, the ability to transcend fear, despair, to not have to be afraid of the next trauma, to have that complete and utter confidence in yourself that it doesn't matter what happens. I know I can manage this. Yeah. And imparting that to the people that matter to you. You know, that's that's the payoff here. That's to me in particular being that source of of strength to you to the family to to people who rely on me to people who I'm responsible for the the few people that I do let in to be that person to them because now I can that's that's the point that's what that's why it is worth it that's why it's necessary you and I have talked a lot and we'll probably cover this in another podcast, either a solo or, or together, but that power of vulnerability and, and when framed in this way, when you're thinking of, of hard versus strength and how I know for me, and I can only speak for myself, that when you have so much fear and you are protecting yourself through the hardness. There's so much fragility there yeah. that it's easy to kind of um, shatter with exactly. words that someone says to you exactly. with, you know, you make a mistake that you don't normally make because there is so much stress and pressure. And new, it's cancer is like a second job, if not like mm. a second job and a half. <laughs> and giving yourself grace and allowing yourself through that is so critical and finding strength and finding strength in vulnerability. Correct. And that exactly what you said is that those seemingly inconsequential interactions or, or reactions leaving you shattered. And again, that, that result of hardness, not accessing, not allowing access, not, uh, not seeking out these processes that are critical. They're mandatory. You know, the um, you know, glass is a good example. Glass is extremely hard. Try to cut glass. There's one, one thing that can cut glass, diamonds, right? Yeah. Tap on it and it'll shatter. It shatters. I can think back to many examples in the last five years for me where I had bolstered up my my strength, thinking that I'm bolstering strength mm. and um, not necessarily recognizing that it was just that that hard facade that right. was so fragile. Right. And it it's, you know, I, to your point, you, you don't want to be we're not passing judgment on anyone and it's it we're 5 years into this and still figuring it out so it's not <laughs> it's not not like there's a get you know get it figured out fast track but speaking of that what is your your proof that it worked and do you have any uh, tips or tools that you would want to share with folks to help them start to find that path 
to strength if they are maybe self-recognizing that they're in the space of of hard? Sure. Um, well, the immediate proof is you and me. You know, um, what we what we have gone through, what we have endured in the past five years uh, destroys not just relationships, but people destroys people to the point of not being recoverable. You know, so going down the chemical addiction, the psychological addiction, not being able to get out of it. Well, that would be an example of trying to be hard, right? That immediate quench of the crucible. You know, now just five years into it, just five years, you know, uh, knowing and having complete faith in our strength as a unit because of our strength individually, there's, there's no question to me. And I don't think there's really much question for you either that it doesn't matter what is going to occur. We know that together we are strong enough to handle this. You know, I could give you certainly other personal examples from earlier in life and the impacts that those those things have made uh, <laughs> the seeming <laughs> the seeming inability to make good choices. Um, you know, again, was a result of fragility of trying to quench. And it's amazing how in the middle of it, it actually feels safe. It it feels strong, right. It feels like the right answer. And even though, and possibly because it's numbing, right? It's control. It's all of those things that that um, we are kind of raised with as our norms and our bellwethers of success. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and back to success, you know, the, my... <sighs> Not just my definition of success, but I think it's relatively widespread when we look at the core of success, and that is creating something that can't be taken from you. Money can be taken from you, and I have stories of that. So <laughs> we I. both do, right. Yeah. Um, property, belongings, those can all be taken from you in so many different ways. The strength that I have accrued, the strength that you have accrued, and that we have accrued together cannot be the confidence that that strength breathes into us cannot be not saying that you know there's nothing that can harm us that's certainly not it you know i mean we're both it's it's still life there's still going to be pain and trauma and fear and doubt but knowing that at the root of any one of those issues is the confidence that whether on our own or in particular through each other, there is nothing that we can't see through to the end. That is success. That is the ability to look anything in life directly in the eye and say, try, try me. But don't try us. But don't go, go to the other <laughs> we're, person. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> we, we seem like we're, we've, we've, kind of filled our tank on that a little bit. I'm good for a few years. (laughs) So um, before, before I close this out, is there anything else that you want to, you want to add as, as our first show and flow together? (laughs) This is, you know, it's feeling good. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, You know, I I don't know, I guess in uh, just kind of some closing points is um, 
I, I would say it's it's important, if not critical, to remember that the reason why this is not the obvious and easy answer is because it is not easy. It is the hardest thing that a human being can be asked to do is is to sit and accept those terrifying and brutal feelings of sadness, desolation, fear, horror, injustice, injustice, unfairness, cruelty to sit in those, to not run. Yeah. But to face them head on, wash over you, allow them to do that, and allow what is in each and every one of you, physiologically in each and every single person watching this, to do its job. Stop helping. Let it do its job. That, I would say, that's the that, that's the beginning. Yeah, everything else is, is uh, in, in many cases, on an individual basis. You know, I, I can tell you my personal personal tools for that probably another episode, but uh, that doesn't mean they're going to be the same for you or, or even you. I mean, and in fact, we know that, you know, you and I approach things quite differently in some cases, but ultimately it's, it's the same, the same beginning of the process is letting those, those feelings, those terrifying emotions, let them speak. That's, that's how you begin. Terrifying and powerful. Yes. So I know you and I have for an upcoming episode, we're going to be talking stress management yeah. and stress, <laughs> but <Right. laughs> that'll be coming up. We had yeah, some of that. Yep. <laughs> so proud of those gray hairs I gave you in your goatee. <laughs> yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah. So, but I want to thank you all so much for listening to episode two and giving us your time. And I, we just appreciate you so much. And we hope that in some way this was helpful. And we hope that you'll be back and join us for episode three. Episode three, I am going to be talking about medical advocacy, which is an ongoing thing. Oh, uh, my oh, goodness. goodness. From... From the moment you are diagnosed and even until now, I have sort of hinted at it. Not, I've not hinted at it. I have flat out called it out on, on the Facebook page, the Your Killer Life Facebook page, the Your Killer Life Instagram. And also, we're going to be talking about it and calling it out here, both on the podcast and on the video podcast on YouTube. If you haven't subscribed, please give us a subscribe. That way you get the little bell that tells you there's an update on the YouTube or we're on your phone. And we're also going to be bringing in some great guests. So future episodes are going to cover some interviews with survivors. I have an amazing person who's coming on who's a man who's had breast cancer. A lot of people don't know that there is a fair number of men who are diagnosed with breast cancer and that they go through uh, very similar treatments. And so going to be talking about that. So we've got a lot of good stuff coming up. And we want to thank you for allowing us to be here, be with you, be vulnerable with you. And thank you for listening. And I guess until next time, keep building your killer life. Thank you for listening to Your Killer Life. And don't forget to subscribe. For more information about what you heard on today's show, visit us at yourkillerlife.com or visit our YouTube channel. You will also find us in all the usual places on social media. We have another great episode queued up for you next week. And until then, keep building your killer life.